Thank you for joining us today as Pastor Tim shares the Word of God. Our prayer is that your life will be touched by the Spirit of Almighty God and constant, powerful truths that can be applied to your everyday life. Let's join Pastor Tim with today's message. Well, I want to welcome you to lesson number five in our verse-by-verse study of Philippians. We are not, and I'm just telling you this, we're not going to come to church and get nothing out of it. That's not the kind of church we are, and that's not what we're doing here. You're not going to come to church and leave and not even really know what was said. And you just left kind of feeling good about the fact, well, at least I went to church. You learn nothing that would help you in your daily life. You learn nothing that would help you be more like Christ. You heard nothing that would help you think more like God, which would be biblical thinking. And so you came to church and left. That's not what we're doing. and That's not what we're going to do here. Uh, You're going to come every time you come through those doors, you prepare your heart to leave here having a nugget given to you that will affect your life tomorrow morning when you wake up. Are you learning how to live in joy when circumstances may not be to your liking and may not suit you? Are you getting some help in these last four lessons on how to live in joy when things don't go your way? Amen or no? Good. It's a good answer whether it's true or not. Let's make sure for those of you who have been asleep for the last four weeks and truly have not gotten anything out of this, let me recap quickly. We began lesson one with an overview of the entire I say book of Philippians because that's the language or the terminology we use. I hope everybody understands it's not a book. It is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Well, we refer to the book of Philippians. And we talked about in lesson one the fact that we're going to see in this verse-by-verse study four thieves that rob your joy. Four thieves that rob your joy. We're going to talk about all four of these in this entire study. Number one is circumstances. Just your circumstances of the day, the flat tire, whatever happened, you didn't get this done. This didn't meet the deadline. Circumstances will steal your joy. Number two, people will steal your joy. And you work with imperfect people. Now, you're not one of them, but you work with them. You go to school. You're the only one perfect in the whole dorm, but you got a bunch of imperfect people up there in the dorm. You're the only one perfect in your family, but you have a bunch of family members that are not perfect. You work with a bunch of people that are not perfect people. And if you don't learn to master this, then somebody somewhere during the day will steal your joy. And you will be bummed out because of somebody else if you don't learn to overcome that. Circumstances, people. Third thing is things. Things steal your joy. We ought to be blessed by the stuff we got. But your clothes or your stuff or your toys or your car, won't you walk to work? I mean, you know, your car steals your joy. This darn thing, I tell you, I hate this car. We'll walk. I mean, why are you going to let a vehicle steal your joy? Are you kidding me? Things steal your joy. And number four, worry steals your joy. In this study, in lesson one, We said there are four attitudes that maintain joy that we're going to learn about in this book. Attitude of having a single mind will keep you in joy. Number two, a submissive mind will keep you in joy. Number three, a spiritual mind. If you'll have a spiritual mind, not a carnal mind, you can walk in joy. And number four, a secure mind. You know, insecurity steals more joy than anything. A secure mind. That was lesson one. Lesson two, 
we looked at chapter 1, verse 1 through 11, and we taught three thoughts that produce joy in those first 11 verses. Number one, have others in your mind. Number two, have others in your heart. Number three, have others in your prayers. That will keep you in joy. If you're not living in selfish living, you can walk in joy. Have others in your mind, have others in your heart, have others in your prayer. If you are basically a selfish person, lesson two was extremely hard for you. Lesson three was chapter one, verse 12 through verse 30. We talked about and asked the question, how are you looking at your chains? Paul is in a dungeon and he is chained. There are things in your day that tie you up, that hold you up, that bind you up, that tie you down. You feel tied down by these kids. You feel tied down by this marriage. You, you are chained by this job. You, whatever it is, we have chains that hold us back. The question is, what is your perception of where you are? Paul's in joy. In the dungeon, it's because of his perception of where you are. It's not where you are, it's your perception of it. It's your perception of it. Years ago, I had a real experience. I had a flat tire. I was bummed out. I was mad. I was, and it went, as I was changing that tire on my truck, it went all over me. That flat tire could have saved me from going around a curve when a truck lost control and killed me. And that flat tire could have been the very reason that I'm still alive this afternoon. God, thank you. I praise you. See, it's not the flat tire. It's your perception of what you're going through that we talk about. Lesson number four. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 18, we talked about the attitude of unity or uniformity. Big difference. Big difference. Are you in unity or are you just in uniformity? You are doing right because you were made to do right. And you guys from Teen Challenge, you can walk in unity, get the vision, and walk in unity with it, or you can walk in uniformity. you just made to do right while you're there. We'll know the difference when you get out. Applied life interns. I mean, you're, you're walking in uniformity because we're going to come get you out of bed and make you. You're going to you conform to what we're doing here. But we will know two weeks after graduation, those that were in unity with what we were doing and those who were in uniformity with what we're doing. It'll steal your joy. It'll steal your joy trying to walk in uniformity instead of getting your heart right and walking in unity. Here we are, lesson five. In this fifth lesson... We want to look at chapter 2. We left off in verse 19 through 30. And we want to look at the life of two men and their example. I wanted to tell you that these guys are not lucky. They did some things that caused them to walk in success. So let's get going. Chapter 2, we left off in verse 19. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is looking for just, just one person that's willing to go. He said, you're the only one. You know, times hadn't changed too much. Times hadn't changed too much. Paul is looking for somebody with a submissive mind to what God wants to do here. Oh, I'm too busy. I can't do that. No, I don't. Will you submit to what God has in mind for you? In chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, we saw the description of Jesus's submissive mind to God's will, plan, and purpose for him. Then in verse 12 through 18, we saw a description of Paul's submissive mind to God's plan and God's will and God's purpose for him. Now, 
Paul introduces two of his helpers to continue on with what he's teaching us, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Their submissive mind to God's will, plan, and purpose. And I think this section here in verse 19 through verse 21, or, or through 30, I think this is an extremely important passage, and I don't want you to miss the main point of this whole thing. Because there are people who say, well, that was Jesus. Well, that was the apostle Paul. Here's two ordinary guys. Timothy and Epaphroditus, they, they just, a couple of good old boys out here, just work. They're not Greek scholars. They're not religious theologians. They're not the son of God. They're just a couple of guys. And Paul says, yes, even a couple of guys. Let me show you the life that they lived before us. Paul is, is out spreading the gospel. And he is traveling from region to region. And then he comes back around and we got his first missionary journey. We've got his second missionary journey. Paul makes a third missionary journey. And then his final journey was a journey to Rome. And we study all of that throughout the book of Acts and the New Testament. Now, Paul, on his first missionary journey, met Timothy. On his first journey, he met a young man. He was traveling through Lystra and Iconium and he met Timothy. Now, he comes through on a second journey, and he takes Timothy with him. Wow. To be chosen, to travel with the Apostle Paul, and to be a part of the New Testament. Out of all of the young men that Paul met in all of his travels, I, well, he sure is lucky. See, I'm not a lucky kind of guy. What did he do to cause that to happen in his life? That's my only question. About, what did he do to cause that? Well, that teacher, she, no, whoa, whoa. what did you do to cause that teacher to do that? Well, that police, he, whoa, whoa. what did you do to cause the policeman to shoot you? I mean, what were you doing? Why were the police even called there? See, I got to ask, what was Timothy? Oh, wow, Timothy got lucky. Paul took him with him. No, no, no. What was he doing that caused Paul to say, got back here on the fourth row. Why don't you travel with me for a while? What was he doing? Hold your place there. Run to Second Timothy. Just flip over a couple of pages. Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I'll be filled with joy when we are together again. Verse 5. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Turn to Acts chapter 19. Let me ask this question. How many of you growing up were drugged to church as a little kid by your mom and your grandmother? Drugged to church by a mom and a grandmother. Made to go. Made to go. There he was. Now, question is, what did you do when you were there? See, a lot of young people that are drugged to church sit on the back row and are texting, acting like they're reading their Bible on their phone. I understand all that. That's what you're doing. You're not studying the Bible. You're on Facebook. You're playing a game right now. Timothy wasn't. He was getting it. The faith of his grandmother, the faith of his mother, the instilling of the Word of God was going deep inside of him. And if Paul remembered Timothy from the last time he came through town, I would say he was probably sitting in the front taking notes while Paul was speaking, not in the back, passing notes. He stood out to Paul. Acts chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Paul went first to Derby, then to Lystra. 
where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Verse 2, Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. Verse 3, underline this, so Paul wanted him to join him. Oh, he's sure lucky. Are you well thought of? Does this church look at you and think you're a thug? By the reputation and by the life you're living and by the friends you're keeping and by the entertainment that you're doing, we know all about you. People get on Facebook and find out all about you. With all the selfies you're taking, I'm asking, are you well thought of by the members of the church? When opportunity comes by, will opportunity find you on the front row taking notes or in the back row passing notes? When opportunity, see guys, opportunity passes you all the time and you're missing it. Oh, he's lucky. Oh, look at all the money he's got. He's lucky. No, no, no. Luck to have nothing to do with this. It's doing the right thing at the right time at the right place. That's what causes life to happen well for you. Life happened well for Timothy. It's because he caught the faith of his grandmother. He caught the faith of his mother. He didn't resent being in church. He got a plan and the purpose of God for his life. And everybody around him admired the faith he walked in. And he wasn't putting a con job on the people in church when he came. Oh, hey, brother, so-and-so, how are you doing? While you're out doing something else on Friday and Saturday night. That's why Timothy did what he did in the Bible. Verse 19. If the Lord is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you for a visit. He can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father. He has served me in preaching good news. I hope to send him to you as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come see you very soon. Don't miss this passage. Why was Timothy successful in life? Real simple. He cared for other people. He had other people in his mind. He cared for, he thought, other people only care about themselves, only care about their deal. But what impressed Paul about Timothy was... Why God used Timothy so powerful in the Bible was his care was for other people and their well-being. See, verse 21, all others care only for themselves. Holy, I wish I was lucky like Timothy. He got a lucky break. Golly, look at all the money he's made. Well, look at what he got to do. How come I never? You think about others and not yourself. There's your answer. You think about others and not yourself. Verse 22, Paul But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Proved himself. Here's what you have to understand. You prove yourself. You prove yourself to other people. And you prove yourself right before God. And we don't seem to get this. Paul didn't take Timothy when he came through the first time. He took him when he came through the second time. Because he wanted to see if Timothy was still going to be there. See, anybody can do good for one night in a row. Well, I've been sober now two and a half days. Well, great. Check with me in 20 years. See, we want to prove. Let me explain something to you. It is impossible to earn grace. By the very definition, grace is given. Do you understand that? You cannot earn grace. It is given. But a big mistake that Christians make is in the understanding of the word trust. Let me explain this to you. It's impossible to give grace trust. You earn trust. But because we enter into our walk with the Lord through grace, we want all the people to treat us in grace. 
Oh, I don't get any grace. Not a bit here. Not one little bit. We'll see how you do for three or four years. What you're going to do is live the Christian life. Well, I repented. That's great. We'll see if you're still repentant in three years from now. See, we, we don't understand. You prove yourself. And here's what you have proven to me. You have proven to me that I can't trust you and your Christianity. So as spiritual as you want to act, what you have proved to me contradicts that. You want to go somewhere in life, you prove yourself, and you're well thought of for a long period of time. Well, I apologized, and I'm proud. That was the first step. Now, we'll see in five years if you're still apologetic. Or if that lasted for about three days until everybody quit staring at you and quit looking at you, and then you went right back in doing what you were doing before. We got to understand there is a difference in proving yourself and living mature and wanting everybody to just give me some grace. God gives grace. We give trust. You got to make sure you understand the difference. Verse 25. Meanwhile, I thought I should send you Epaphroditus back to you. Okay, now understand. Well, that's Jesus. Well, that's Paul. No, no, no. This is Timothy and Epaphroditus. So don't give me that. These are ordinary people who are living in the plan of God for their life. They're just businessmen out here making a living. That's who these guys are. Epaphroditus, he is a true brother, a co-worker, a fellow soldier. He was your messenger to help me in my need. I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. He certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him, also on me, that I would not have one sorrow after another. So, I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you'll be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Now, Paul can't say nothing about this guy. See, when I read stuff like that, I don't sleep through it. I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I think, here's the Apostle Paul. He can't say enough about this guy. I mean, my brother, my companion, my co-worker, my fellow soldier. Do godly people say those things about you? Are you living your life in a way that godly people say those? See, Epaphroditus, and what is being said about him motivates me. I want to live my life. When I get in the truck and drive off, they say, there's a good man right there. I don't want to get in my truck and drive off, and they say, you still got your billfold? Y'all check. Like Timothy, Epaphroditus was concerned about other people, concerned about Paul, concerned about the church. He risked his well-being for the work of the Lord. You know, what a tragedy it is to go through life and not be a blessing to anybody else. Timothy and Epaphroditus were a blessing to other people. Are you a blessing to other people? Or they roll your eyes when you come around. The point is, a joyful life is the life of giving and serving with others in your mind. These two men were put here in these verses to be an example to you and I on here's how you live in joy. All right, we got to go. Chapter 3. Paul continues with his theme. Circumstances and people can rob us of joy, but also things can rob us of joy. There's a thief that Paul deals with in chapter 3. Here's what we're going to look at. Verse 1 through 11, Paul's outlook on his past. I want to look in verse 8. I count it 
or I'm counting it as. Here's what I'm telling you. When you get right with God, you have a new set of values. I used to count this as important. Now, I don't consider that as important. How do you count? How do you consider the things of your day? How do you consider? How do you count that? Verse 12 through 16, Paul's outlook on his present. Verse, 11, uh, verse 1 through 11, Paul's outlook on his past. Verse 12 through 16, Paul's outlook on his present. Right now, here's what I'm doing. I'm pressing on. Well, Tim, what are you doing? Pressing on. That's what I'm doing. Pressing forward. Verse 17 through verse 21, we want to look at Paul's outlook on his future. Paul's got a vision of heaven. This is a very temporary situation I'm in. I'm looking for the resurrection in the Lord Jesus. I'm looking toward heaven. Now, chapter 3, it's easy to get wrapped up in tangible things. But here's what the world does not understand. Tangible things cannot bring you lasting joy. I don't care how new the car is when you drive it off the lot. When you get home, you are driving a used car, bucko. And I don't care what kind of car you buy, there's somebody that's going to have a nicer one or faster one or shinier one. I don't care what kind of clothes you buy, you're going to go to the party and somebody's going to be better dressed than you. But things cannot produce lasting joy in your life, yet we have a world full of people trying to produce joy by stuff. As soon as you build your house, here's the first thing you will notice about it. It's not big enough. Well, I wish we would have. Well, you know what I should have done? You can't be happy in your house because of what you should have done. Where you should have done it, how you, you can't walk in and go, I love everything about it. You just can't. And the thing that you should have done is a thing that will steal your joy for the whole time you live there. Well, I wish I'd have bought the other car. Well, I should have. Things will never produce joy in your life. Paul uses count. I counted or I consider it all. That Greek word means to evaluate or to assess. Maybe one of the only good things Socrates ever said. It's good because it's scriptural. He says, the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. You know, few people sit down and weigh the values that control their decisions and their direction. Just go here, just go there, go do this. Wait, sit down and think this thing through. Many are just a slave to things. And you'll never enter a life of joy being enslaved to stuff. You buy this, you get that, you achieve this, you go here. You're, I got it. Okay, I'm talking too much. Let's move on. I forgot what chapter I'm in. Verse chapter 3. Whatever happens, my... Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Some of your translations say, finally, my dear brothers and sisters. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we worship by the Spirit of God, are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us, and we put no confidence in human effort. Now, when Paul starts out here with whatever happens or finally, that doesn't mean he's finished. That means let's just continue on. We're moving forward. Now, verse 1 through 3 is a warning to look out for dogs. 
Who are you judging? Yep. Yeah, I am. Because Paul told me to watch out for dogs. And I'm looking for one right now. All right. There are always people in the church who want to undermine. Paul refers to them as dogs. They're in the church. And they want to undermine. And you better look out for them. Because they'll lead you astray and they'll steal your joy. Number one, dog. The Orthodox Jew, the Judaizer that wanted to start telling you what you had to do. Somebody's always going to tell you what to do. Somebody's always going to be around to tell me what I ought to do or what I ought to preach or what I ought to wear or what I ought to say. You got somebody always going to tell you what to do. Number two, evil workers. Those people who were teaching the sinner was saved by works. There will always be people in the church that are teaching ungodly things. That's not biblical. What's sad is when the pastors are teaching things that are not biblical. Those are evil workers. Number three, the mutilators. Paul says, see, circumcision was a religious activity. And in and of itself, it's just mutilation. There's no religious value to that at all. Watch out for those dogs that want to undermine the teaching of the church. And you can know it. It'll be because of their own insecurities, their own fears, their own desires to be something. And you can pretty much know that at the end of the church service, there'll be somebody that'll catch you in the foyer, catch you in the aisle, catch you out in the park. Well, Tim was, he, well, Tim kind of missed it on this point. Well, you know, I just have some problems with church leadership. Well, I just don't go along with a lot of the, you better watch out now. You come here, your life's gotten totally turned around. You've got a vision, you've got direction for your life, and some dog will pull you over to the side and start undermining. And first thing you know, you'll be pulled away from the direction God had you going. It happens all the time. People talking about me, talking about the sermon, talking about the worship, talking about, I mean, they're going to talk about, see, Paul says, watch out for dogs. You need to know. There's somebody that's going to sidetrack you if they can. And you better make sure that your face is set like a flint, that you have a single mind, and you know where you're going. Verse 4. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anybody could, indeed, if others have a reason for confidence in their own efforts, let me just tell you right now, I got a whole lot more. Let me just tell you. Oh, let me just take a few minutes and brag on myself. I circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew. If there was ever one, I'm telling you what, I was one. I'm a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, <laughs> I was without fault. I'm the man. Compared to everybody else, he's good as it gets. Paul is saying... I had to come to the end of all of that. Not any of that produced joy in my life. Not any of those efforts produced joy in my life. Compared to others, I was on top. And you know, that's what the heathen does. They compare themselves to other people. And I teach some on this, and probably we need to have a series on this soon in the church. Cultural holiness because we measure our degree of holiness by how well we're doing around with the others around us. I began to study this years ago. I was watching a show, and they were interviewing prostitutes. 
And the prostitutes were saying, well, I'm telling you what, at least I work for a living. At least I, at least I don't do what they do. Well, I stay on my, see, I am good. Those other folks over there, they interviewed some alcoholics. I can tell you right now, I'd never smoke that dope. Now, them people are bad. They were interviewing dope smokers. I can tell you, I never shot anything in my vein. You can write that down. I'm not, see, you're in good shape because you're not going to do what those people over there did. Jesus dealt with that. Oh, God, I thank you I'm not like that sinner over there. And everybody measures their level of spirituality by looking at somebody. Well, at least I go to church. She ain't been in church in six months. Once I thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Everything's worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus. Don't compare yourself with somebody that hasn't been in church in six months. Compare yourself with how you stand with Christ. And how close are you to being like him? How close are you to being like I'm not talking about the other guys at Teen Challenge. I'm not talking about the other guys. At least I don't. I'd never. I can tell you right now, Tim, I'd never do what that group. I'm not talking about what some other group did. How are you compared to Jesus? You're to be growing more and more like him, and he's the only one you compare yourself with on a daily basis. See, Paul, whole life changed when he quit comparing himself with other people, and he started comparing himself with Jesus. When Paul met Jesus on the Damascus Road, he had an encounter with God in his life. In verse 8, He says, I count it or I consider it all as a loss in view of, and I want you to get this word right here, knowing, does everybody see knowing? Knowing Christ, not knowing about him. And there's a huge difference. You can tell by their entertainment. You can tell by their language. You can tell by their friends. You can tell by their lifestyle. They don't know him. Become church and they know about him. But when you see somebody that knows Jesus, you'll see somebody who had a life change. When you come, see, Paul, Paul knew about God. But on the Damascus Road, he came to know God. He came to know God. And for you to live in happiness and joy, you're going to have to lose that self-righteousness in verse 9. You're going to have to lay all of that down And you live on joy because things don't have you. You just have a few things. Your heart and your mind is on the benefit and the blessing of other people. We've all come to a place in our life where we're riding along on your own personal interest and your own personal pursuits. What's got to happen for you is a blinding light from heaven has got to reveal who you are to you and reveal God and his presence in a way that it changes everything about your life. And when that happens from that point on, regardless of the size of your house or the newness of your car, regardless of the people you're around, regardless of the circumstances you're living in, you can walk daily full of joy. Y'all stand Lord, we thank you for your word that's washing our minds, that's teaching us how to think, and that our life is truly lived full of joy. Not because of the stuff we have, but because of knowing you. We honor you today in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We hope that you have been blessed, encouraged, and motivated by today's message. If you are interested in more messages by the pastors at CM Church, please log on to our website at www.cmchurch.com and click on our podcast link. You can also purchase series and other messages at our online store.